630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. McDavid centers. Timer score. Oscar Clefbaum and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time it's Clefbaum. He takes the snap. He looks to the right side. He's throwing to the end zone. There it is. Touchdown Eskimos. Duke Williams. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6:30 Chad. Los Angeles trailing the Toronto Maple Leafs 1-0 late in the first period. Montreal up 1-0 on Detroit late in the first and no score in the first between the Stars and the Sens later on. The Wild and the Predators. The Oilers back in Edmonton. First time on the Rogers place ice today since September 29th. They practiced and then flew to Winnipeg. Tomorrow's game, 4.30 face-off show here on 6.30 Chad and the puck will drop at 6. Game 3 of the National League Championship Series. Brewers lead the Dodgers 1-0 nothing in the second inning. The series is tied at one. Monday night football, San Francisco is at Green Bay. Of course, the Edmonton Eskimos back in the win column. Impressive showing on Saturday against Ottawa, completely taking the game over. And Mike Riley missed practice on Friday because he was ill? Well, come on. How ill could have he been? It was a rough one. Um, Thursday night, I went to bed feeling fine. Um, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning um, and felt sicker than I probably have ever felt in my life. Uh, I ended up... On the shower floor, um, you know, throwing up everywhere, couldn't couldn't stop vomiting, and, and you know, didn't get any sleep that night. Uh, got back into the bed a, a couple hours later, and was still, you know, uh, throwing up, still sick the whole morning. Uh, finally, got a little bit of sleep and woke up. And, and my biggest concern was that I didn't want to get anybody else sick. I was happy that you know I still had 24 hours because I knew if anybody was feeling the way I was feeling on game day, they weren't going to be able to make it in. Calvin McCarty in the backfield for the Eskimos. He's going to block. Riley gets hit, but he delivers. Mitchell's got it. He's at the 40, 35, 30. He's got a man chasing him. He cuts to the far side. 10, 5. Touchdown, Eskimos. Bryant Mitchell bombs away, baby. Well, if he wasn't 100% in this game, I don't know what 100% looks like because he was dominant. I mean, whether he was running it, throwing it, reading the defense, uh, there wasn't much out there he didn't do well. I mean, he was lights out this game. It was the best I've seen him play in a long time. Mike Riley, brilliant in that game. He goes 10 carries for 72 yards. Passing, he goes 31 for 38 for 369 yards and a touchdown. He was not intercepted. Eskimos win it 34-16. Hey, hope you had a great weekend. Both the Eskimos and Oilers able to win on Saturday. My name is Reed Wilkins, and the Coaches Show with Jason Moss and Morley Scott is 7.30 tonight. We'll kick off our week with the healthiest man alive former NHL goaltender, now with the NHL on Rogers. It's Kelly Rudy. Hey, Kelly, how's it going? Well, not, exa- not exactly true, Reed. I woke up with a pretty good cold today. So uh, not as sick as Mike Riley. That sounds pretty horrible. And, uh, well, yeah, that's, that's such a great question, isn't it, though? Like, you play through, do you risk getting people uh, sick? And all athletes have had to do it. I know most workplaces don't encourage you to come in sick, which makes tons of sense. Uh, first time I really felt like horrible. Um, we had to, I was playing in the minors. We had to box to Cincinnati to play that night. 
I can't quite remember, but I think the, the bus ride between the two cities would be about two hours, something like that. And uh, Man Alive, it was a battle to play. And I surprisingly, kind of like uh, Mike Riley, I played outrageously well. And it, it kind of surprised me. The problem is, though, again, just what I mentioned about getting somebody else sick and or your recovery. Because I remember after that game, I was so drained that it took me, I don't know, two or three days to start to get some energy back. So for that reason, too, I don't know if it's the right idea. And I, I recall one of my early years with the Islanders, I believe it was my first or second year, and one of the guys came in. We were in Calgary, and uh, he came to the rink. He played sick. Uh, nobody really knew about it until after the game. He talked to the trainers. And I recall Al Arbor getting pretty mad at uh, the player, in fact, saying, you know, don't do that. Uh, it's commendable. We understand you want to play and all that. But... You're, you're risking everybody else get, getting sick and so on. So I kind of lean in that direction that, yeah, it's really honorable. It's a, it's a real great thing to try and prove how tough you can be. But in all likelihood, when you play on a team of, uh, say, football team, 40-some members or hockey, 23 guys, somebody else is going to get sick because of it. Yeah, well, and that's obviously why he skipped practice uh, Friday, and he joked after the the game too later on in that interview I played that he goes, "I think our guys are fine. If a couple of Ottawa players got sick tackling me or hitting me, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't feel too bad." But uh, uh, it was uh, it was a good win for the Eskimos. They uh, they needed that one, and obviously the Oilers needed theirs in New York. And I want to ask you about that later on too. But um, you know, some NHL news today: uh, Mike Matheson has been hit with a two game suspension for the, I, I was going to call it a hit. I guess he wasn't suspended for the hit. He was um, suspended for the sort of body slam type action on Elias Peterson uh, afterwards. Uh, I shouldn't laugh yeah. at it because Pe- uh, Peterson right. got Peterson got hurt. Uh, but yeah. uh, it was one of those plays where, you know, as a defenseman, I mean, there are some suspensions where I think to myself, you know, I know I never played in the NHL, but that guy just did a, a hot-headed play, and he went and did something where he was, you know, lost his cool for a second and, and tried to injure somebody. I, I sympathize with Matheson because aren't defensemen taught to finish the play yeah. and rub the forward out and make sure he can't get back into the play? I know. It's just a different NHL world and landscape, and we have to try and uh, just accept it and uh, understand what's going on and how it's changing. And uh, what used to be a great hockey play three, four years ago, uh, which Matheson did, was, is no longer uh, acceptable. Uh, players are different. Uh, you know, um, Pedersen is only about 155, 160 pounds, so maybe Matheson was caught by surprise not recognizing that uh, it wouldn't take much to throw the, the player down to the ice. But, you know, those are... It, it really is difficult because when you're t- walking through this NHL and you see guys like Drew Doughty that play really hard every single shift, that wouldn't be unusual for Doughty to make a play like that, yet in today's game it's a two-game suspension. So um, we're just trying to understand it. Nick Chipros did say that he thought it was rather dirty Saturday after the game. He thought that uh, the intent by Matheson was more than just taking the player out. So... Uh, I'll uh, listen to that considering he was a skater. Um, to me, at first blush, I didn't think there was much to it. And I think there was some history there. I think earlier in the game, uh, Pedersen had tried to uh, take out uh, Matheson maybe in a rather dirty way. So I think there's more to it than just the, the body slam. But, hey, listen, um, you know, 
20 years ago, you would have laughed if you would have said, yeah, in the year 2018, if you throw somebody on the ice, you're going to get a two-game suspension. But it's reality now. I found it interesting, too, watching the suspension video on the NHL website. It, it was cited for being interference and unsportsmanlike conduct. I mean, like, nobody said doing that was, they might say it was roughing or interference. Nobody would have, would have labeled that unsportsmanlike conduct in the past. I think that's you another know, but, sign of the change, too. So, you know, Reed, that takes us in a, in a different direction to a certain degree, doesn't it? So if that's you can do something that's unsportsmanlike, and that might lead to a suspension. And then we go back to last year's playoffs and Brad Marchand licking faces and so on. You know, is is that worthy of a suspension? Because that's more than unsportsmanlike. That is, that's a gross misconduct, in my opinion. So I think moving forward, the league will have to be aware of that since they made this sort of ruling um, and sort of set the bar uh, it seems only natural to me then that uh, moving forward, uh, things that are, are, are really terrible, uh, unsportsmanlike sort of situations, that could definitely lead to a suspension now because the precedent has been set. Yeah, well, and I was, you know, I, I was one who last spring that thought Marchand should have been disciplined somehow Same. for the Same. for the licking Same. stuff because it's just that's that's embarrassing. I think it's, it's really more disgusting than you can't do anything maybe more disgusting than maybe spitting in the guy's mouth. That's just gross. This just yeah, I was really angry with him. He's a heck of a player, but that was beyond ridiculous. Do you worry at all, Kelly? Because I know from hosting a talk show and doing the post game show with Rob. And sometimes fans will call in and complain about suspensions or about, you know, there's not enough body checking in the game. I still think hockey is highly physical. I mean, there the, the puck battles are intense. There's always a, uh, you know, a contest for, for body position and to get yourself over top of the puck. That's a phrase Todd McClellan and other coaches like to use. But it, there, there aren't a lot of you know open ice hits anymore. There aren't even a lot of kind of just nice. I'm gonna gonna ride a guy into the boards and smash him out a little bit. Do you do you do you miss that in hockey? Do you worry about that disappearing even more as we move move along? Both. I worry about it, and I miss the other stuff. That was the part that kind of separated certain players from others. That uh, they're willing to. Uh, to intimidate uh, through different ways, and if that was just being uh, stronger than the other player, like Matheson was on Saturday, well, then that was acceptable. But uh, I am really trying hard to uh, just let that go and and uh, understand the new game. Uh, you know, there are parts of the new game that I really, really enjoy more so. I was uh, on the road last week, and I was talking to Ryan Ellis of Nashville, and as you understand, Reed, he's not the biggest guy either. He's an undersized defenseman, but highly skilled. And uh, and I said, you know, it's interesting. I'm looking around the league now, and it used to be, depending on the number, but typically three puck-moving defensemen on a team and three big kind of brutes. And you can't find a big brute anymore. It's right. It's basically, uh, it's going to more undersized defensemen uh, with ridiculous amounts of skill that can move a puck and they don't have to be able to clear the front of the net. It's, it's a different kind of way that they defend. You know, to a certain degree, maybe that's why we're having more goals right now, because they can't defend as well and because there's more skill on the ice, and, and I don't mind that part of it. Well, and that's a good transition into the Oilers because I think that's one of their weaknesses and things to be concerned about moving forward is 
is getting the puck uh, out of their own end, getting it up to the forwards efficiently. I mean, I guess you can say it's uh, a chicken or egg thing. Do they do they spend too much time in their own end because they don't forecheck well enough or because they're not getting the puck out well yeah. enough because there, there hasn't been enough forechecking either, though they were a lot better against the Rangers. Kelly, it, it, it's, a lo- it's a long season. Um, there's a lot of hand-wringing ringing and flat-out negativity yeah. here about uh, where the Oilers are headed. Negativity in some cases. I'm not yeah. saying everybody... But tell me, you've, you know, you, you played several years. You played the most important position on the ice. What does that first win of a season do for a team after you've maybe lost the first two or three? And the goaltender in particular. That was the, it's funny you bring that up, Reed, because uh, one of my mindsets going to every single season, I'm sure my uh, teammates felt the same way, is that I was really hopeful to get uh, my first win of the season as quickly as possible because it always seemed like, uh, the longer it went, the more is on your mind, uh, the more troublesome it became to get that win. So whenever you get it to, uh, as quickly as possible, and, and, you know, three games isn't the worst. So uh, they're, they're back on track. I'm sure they feel a lot better because of that. I'm sure Talbot feels a whole lot uh, better and, and relieved. Uh, and now you can just sort of uh, take each game one at a time and not worry like uh, – boy, when am I going to get my win? And then uh, just, you know, it just compounds itself and you start thinking, overthinking. Yeah. All right, Kelly, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, We'll do this again next week. Uh, What do you have, Flames? When are they in action again? Uh, Wednesday uh, here against Boston, then they're at home on Friday, but I don't do that when I'm off back to Toronto uh, for Saturday. Okay, well, good schedule for you, though, to watch the uh, Oilers games as well, Tuesday and Thursday night, so it'll be a fun week for you, buddy. You got it. Thanks, pal. That's Kelly Rudy checking in. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. We get Kelly every week on the show. You can chime in by texting 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. You'll hear a little bit from head coach Todd McClellan today, from Drake Kajula, and Blake Dermott will tell you what went right for the Eskimos on Saturday after several weeks of things going wrong. That's all coming up. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Good to have you tuning in tonight. A little junior football action in the city over the weekend. Final regular season game. The Edmonton Huskies beat the Edmonton Wildcats 42-17. Wildcats do not advance to the postseason. The Huskies will host Regina in a semifinal this weekend coming up. Uh, of course, last season they played in the semis as well here in Edmonton and Regina pulled off the upset. Some other notes today. Justin Schultz, Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman, will miss four months. He had to have surgery on a fractured leg. Paul Stastny from the Vegas Golden Knights could be out up to two months with a lower body injury. And Kelly and I were talking about the suspension to Florida's Mike Matheson. Two games for the hit on Elias Pettersson in the game between Florida and Vancouver over the weekend. Uh, kind of did a a rub out and then a body slam. Ren texting into 636.30. He says maybe instead of issuing a suspension for that, the NHL the NHL should rethink how smart it is to have an 18-year-old, 155-pound kid playing at the highest level of hockey on earth against men. That is a text from Ren to 630-630. Uh, the Maple Leafs get another goal from Patrick Marlowe. They're up 2-0 on the Kings after the first period. Four games in the NHL tonight. We'll keep you updated. The Oilers in Winnipeg now practiced 
at Rogers Place today. They flew home from New York after the win over the Rangers on Saturday. Had an off day yesterday, practiced, and then flew to Winnipeg today. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one when you look at how these teams did last season. They got Boston coming up again, top six team. Nashville, first overall. This is the homestand I'm looking ahead to. Pittsburgh, perennially good. And the Washington Capitals obviously won the Stanley Cup. Those are the teams on the homestand. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. You know, just we have to grow our game completely. Everything has to to improve on a steady basis. Uh, you know, we just play teams that are are very good good hockey clubs, and um, the the strength of the opponent doesn't change how we want to play, uh, how we want to approach our game, and what we want to do. Uh, we're well aware of who we have to play against. Uh, we're also well aware that Calgary and Vancouver and Arizona have to play against these teams as well. Uh, just so happens that ours are bunched together early in the year. Tough luck. We'll go play. All right, and tomorrow's game in Winnipeg, 4.30 face-off show on 6.30, Chad, and the game will start at 6. Paul Allen passed away today at the age of 65. Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, owner of the Seattle Seahawks and the Portland Trail uh, Trail Blazers, passing away from complications of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. His family announcing that today. Um, he announced earlier this month that the disease, which he had been treated for in 2009, had unfortunately returned. He co founded Microsoft with his childhood friend Bill Gates and he'd owned the Seahawks since 1997 and he'd owned the Trailblazers since 1988. He's also the co-owner of the MLS team in Seattle Sounders FC. So Paul Allen passing away at the age of 65. 627, this portion of Inside Sports presented by Furnace Family, your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialist. Call 780-4-FAMILY or FurnaceFamily.com. The Oilers able to figure it out against the New York Rangers. Um, obviously, tough games coming up ahead. I, uh, I know there's a lot of people very pessimistic about what their record will be uh, after this eight-game stretch or, or at the end of the month when they'll have played 11 games total. They do play Nashville, Chicago, and Minnesota to round out the month of October. Uh, we shall see. Uh, I mean, look, uh, there, we know the weaknesses in the lineup. The defense isn't great. They're the non-scoring forwards haven't been able to, I think, do enough checking-wise, especially in the first two games of the season. Better against the Rangers who uh, aren't as good a team. I still wouldn't scoff at that victory like some people are. you got to go out there, you got to win. I don't care if it's 2-1 or 6-0. At the end of the day, you get the two points and you figured out the problems you were presented with in that game. But it's, uh, I think it's going to take a pretty significant stretch of good hockey here by the Oilers for them to win some people over. And fair enough, disappointing last year. And disappointing, well, especially opening game to the season against the New Jersey Devils. They, they weren't great in, in Boston, but at least they were kind of hanging around in the game. They were they were beaten badly against the Devils. You can always chime in by texting 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. It looked bleak for the Eskimos one week ago today. They do remain last in the West, but some hope after an impressive performance against the Red Blacks on Saturday. Blake Dermott will break it down. What went right for the offense, how the defense has come alive, all coming up on Inside Sports. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
Midway through the first quarter, San Francisco and Green Bay tied 7-7. Packers in the red zone looking for more. Incomplete pass to the end zone on third and nine. Likely field goal try coming up there. Game three of the National League Championship Series, top of the third in Los Angeles. Brewers up 1-0 on the Dodgers. The series is tied 1-1. NHL tonight in the first period, 1-1 between the Wild and the Predators. Start of the second period, Dallas with a 1-0 lead in Ottawa. And after the first period, the Canadians up 3-1 on Detroit. And the Maple Leafs up 2-0 on the Los Angeles Kings. Patrick Marlowe has his first of the season there. Rob says, hi, Reed. If Cassian doesn't perform or know his role at least, what about a trade to the Islanders for Ross Johnston or Casey Sezikis? You know, this Ross Johnston fellow is uh, kind of an interesting one to follow for me. He uh, hasn't played a lot in the NHL. Big guy. I think he's about 6'5". You know, can fight. They signed him to a four-year contract in the summer for $1 million a year. He'd be cheaper than Cassian, who's getting $1.95 and obviously was a healthy scratch last game, and I would expect him to be again in Winnipeg. He did not have a, a good season last year. Johnston uh, also younger than uh, Cassian. He's uh, 24. Cassian is 27. Uh, that That is uh, one of the more interesting and logical trade suggestions that we get to the show, but well, maybe that one favors the Oilers because of the age and the money. But uh, that is, that's, a, that's a good text there from Rob for sure. Oil 10 says, Reed, Clefbaum, Larson, a combined minus four, being supposedly the shutdown pair, plus now being veterans, they need to step up and play a lot better. Well, I think everybody on, on the Oilers' defense needs to play a lot better. I think the, the question is, are they capable of doing it? And, and that's the scary part. Um, yeah, I mean, Clefbaum, Larson are the Oilers' top pair. Whether or not they would be the top pair on other teams, you know, that's... Well, I mean, it's relevant to how they stack up against the rest of the league, but it's not relevant to the fact that they are going to be those guys for the Oilers. We've seen both those guys play better for long stretches in their careers before most of last year and the start of this year, and they're they're going to need to do that again. Um, and, and I think the, the Oilers' problem here with the defense is depending on how you look at it, they either have two third pairs and one second pair, or they have two second pairs and one third pair. And the last game against the New York Rangers, Bouchard and Garrison were the third pair. They only played 11 and a half minutes each, so they, they really didn't get turned to a lot. So that, that you know, look, I, I still think preventing goals and getting the puck out is going to be the number one question and challenge for the Oilers this season. I, I realize they've only scored five goals. I realize McDavid has been on, on in on every goal. Yes, that's concerning as well. Not as concerning to me to handling other teams' forecheck and then getting the puck up ice quickly and efficiently. Frustrated fan texting in. Says, it looks like my life is going to turn around sports-wise. The crisis Saturday worked, read, listened to the Oilers before the game with my son and watched in the stands for the Eskimos win. Frustrated fan I'm glad you had a great day. Absolutely. And thanks for listening to the show tonight. And for more on the Eskimos victory, former member of the team, now an analyst here on 630 Ched, the one and only Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. It's, uh, we were just talking, it's, uh, it's easy to talk about a game when things went well. 
Well, a lot went right, especially in the second half of that game against Ottawa. Man, the Eskimos took over, and Mike Riley perhaps adding to his own legend by playing after being extremely under the weather, uh, you know, a day or two before the game. What is the uh, illest you ever played a game, Blake, dare I ask? Oh, I, I know exactly what Mike felt like. <laughs> I I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 93, 93 or 94. We were playing Sacramento. Uh probably was 93 here at home and I woke up the day before the game walked through and had 103 fever and had to phone in and they told me to get to the Royal Alec and I spent from about 9 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock the next day and we played at 1 in the emergency room filled with IVs and and, uh, and then I came about 2 hours for the game, maybe about 2 and a half hours for the game I came to the stadium, played uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter, Coach Mack said, uh, Blake, you've done enough. <laughs> that was it. But I thought uh, I didn't know how I was going to make it through that day. And so if Mike was anything like that, I, I know exactly how he feels and, and feel for him. And, and believe me, that would have been a pretty courageous uh, effort uh, for him to be able to do that. Well, he looked very good, though, uh, you know, I think, I don't know how other people were feeling, but when Ottawa got that long bomb touchdown to go up 16-7, I was like, uh-oh, is, is that the one? Is this a here-we-go-again where the Eskimos aren't going to be able to do do enough to, to come back in this game? But, I mean, Ottawa didn't score after that, didn't really come close to scoring. I guess they had okay field position when they when they turned it over a couple times, but still, uh, they, they didn't get in. Let's start on the defensive side of the football, Blake, because we've... We've kind of seen that from the defense for a while now. They they might give up some yards, you might get in the red zone, but but they've they've done some pretty good things uh, when the other team's been in the score zone. You know, we've been talking about this, uh, you know, Saskatchewan's defense being you know, you know one of the reasons why Saskatchewan's done so well this year is because their defensive special teams are are uh, been carrying them, and and over this last little stretch here, maybe the last four games, the Eskimos' defense is playing as well. As, or, or better than any other defense in the league. And you can even go to that Saskatchewan game. I mean, it was, uh, uh, if it wasn't for that touchdown that was thrown in the pick six, Edmonton's won and they've, they've only given up, what it was, was it nine points at that point? Or, they, they, they just held Saskatchewan to next to nothing and they've been holding teams under 20 points for a long time now. And, and even with, you know, the Eskimos throwing pick sixes and there's been a few of them over the last number of weeks. So that, that defense has learned how to play very, very well, whether they've lived on because they've had to in order to keep themselves in the games or they've just started to grow together. And part of that growing together is uh, is is not panicking when things go wrong. You know, when you give up a big score, it's 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 next play. Let's let's move on. Let's let's be ready for the next one. And and I think they've 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 become a much more mature defense. And I believe that you know Coach Benavides has got a lot more confidence in his guys as well. But they've also got guys that are back uh, that are healthy and playing. And uh, and uh, I, I think that makes them uh, as competitive a defense in this whole league as as anybody else. Well, and the pressure, and, and I mean, look, like they're they're only rushing four most of the time when they get those sacks, and to me, that's a huge difference because then they can drop eight guys if they want, cover a lot of the field, and you know, Bazzi's come on, Serezna's come on. I mean, I think earlier in the season, if you talked about pressure, I, I felt I was talking about Boateng all the time. Well, now it's other guys getting through too. Boy, in, in three game, three uh, sacks in the last two games, uh, Armando Siwa. You know, this is a guy who who. Uh, 
demands double teams almost every play because he's he can be so dominant. And when he's ripping off those sacks, that means that the guys like Bazzi and Botang are getting pressure from the edges and forcing guys up for guys like Ceresna and Sewell to, to, to make the sacks. And, and I think those guys have done an excellent job against the run as well. So, yeah, you're right. When, when predominantly they're sending four guys that uh, to get the pressure that they've got from this group is, is – and something that I think that it's taken a while for it to get to that point, and I'm not sure that people thought they were going to get that from this group, considering all the, the great players that they had lost this, this last offseason. Blake, you played offensive line, and I know you personally never gave up a sack, so I hope it isn't too hard for you to answer this question. <laughs> but, but a lot of times when we talk about sacks or pressure, you know, you, you think, well, the defense is uh, trying to you know overload, outnumber the offensive line. So when a team does get through with four, uh, what are they doing that makes it difficult for the offensive line to, to block, even though the O-line has five and the defense only has four? Well, I think what they try to do, and, and this, it's, you got to look at it like you're, you're in a, you're in a fist fight, right? And 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 that's what it's like in a game. And uh, they, where you can uh, control the pass rush with four guys, as you said, by having an extra guy to block, is when you can be in situations where that extra guy can be helpful. And so he can, you know, he can lean his shoulder in. He can shorten his distance between you and the next guy. Take away some of that lane, so that it makes it difficult for the defensive lineman to just outright beat you. Uh, so when you rush four guys, what what teams like to do is they like to they like to bring somebody up, or they like to fake like somebody's going to come. So that occupies that free guy. And if you have really talented defensive linemen, eventually, and think about this: as an offensive lineman, you can you can beat the crap out of a defensive lineman for 64 plays out of 65 and he beats you one sack but every one of you guys gets beat one sack now that defensive line has won five plays out of 65 and everybody goes wow look at the pressure they got so so that's one of the, the troubling things about being an offensive lineman you could you could lose the battle one 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 time in the game and then the defensive lineman is one and, uh, and so, so you, you, you're trying to always isolate the offensive linemen so that they're in one-on-one battles as a defense, then that increases your opportunity to, to, get, to get pressure. Because if you've got really good people, you're going to ultimately beat that guy once or twice. And, and you hope the quarterback doesn't step out, but you hope the quarterback doesn't make a great read and, and all of those things. But that's, that's how you try to do it. You try to occupy everybody, make everybody block one-on-one. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us on 6.30. Chet, Eskimos winning 34-16 over Ottawa on Saturday. Another huge game coming up Friday when they visit the BC Lions. Offensively, Blake, uh, a total transformation, especially, like I said, starting pretty much late in the first half until the end of the game. They got first downs. They got points. They made plays when they needed them. Uh, They they figured out the pressure a little better, especially to to get a touchdown off on on Ottawa Blitz. I I know Riley said after the game there's – there's doing what you do well and also tailoring the game plan to the opponent. So um, I guess we can pretty clearly read into that too, that, that they expected some things from Ottawa that they must've got. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, you, it's, it's very difficult for, for any team um, because everything that they do is on film. And when you get this late in the season, you know, at the 15 game mark, it's difficult to come up with something that's going to fool the other guy. So, so you you typically have uh, you have a book on them, and uh, and they so they you fully expect that you know coaches that call plays have tendencies. So in this situation, in this kind of a in this kind of a position on the field, you expect that it's probably going to be this option or this option. 
And so when you can break it down at those minimi- minimal things, then as, a, as an offense, a guy like Mike Riley, he's going to get in there when the play's called. He's going, okay, I expect them to do this or this. And if they do this, I'm doing this. If they do this, I'm doing that. And and, and they did exactly what I think they, they, they were able to pick up. They planned well. They executed more than anything in the last uh, in the last five weeks. The execution with the Eskimos has been just that's their issue. That's been their problem. That's been where, and it's been minute too. You know, I talked to J- uh, Jason Moss saying about how, you know, when, a, when Riley's throwing a pass and he expects a guy to run a 17-yard route and he runs a 14-yard route, uh, and and so he's throwing the ball either early or late, and, and it's behind or in front. And, and those are the, when you get to this level of co- uh, competition, when you get to this level of professionalism, that's how minute it can be. If you're out by a yard on your route, then the ball is no not going to be where it's supposed to be. So, so those are the kinds of things that they, they the execution they were able to do quite well this week and and I don't know if it was a wake up call or if they they looked at the standings and said holy cow maybe it's time that we start to play like we can but they certainly did. Well, and they got to do it again. And I mean, uh, you know, finally a win. So a lot of relief there, a lot more positive energy. But they remain in last place. And this one's one's another big one against BC. I, I mean, if Edmonton wins, it's great. But it doesn't clinch them a playoff spot. There's still work to do. A loss doesn't knock them out, but they've got uh, one foot and four toes from the other foot over the cliff. So, I mean, hopefully they have the same approach that they did going into Ottawa. Well, you know, that's, this is the thing about uh, at this time of the year. I, you always want to get on a run going into playoffs. And when you look around the West, and it'd be a shame if Edmonton, you know, didn't make the playoffs. I mean, they've only won one game of their last five. Let's let's talk about that, or whatever the number is. They haven't played particularly well. But you have a Saskatchewan team that is, is down a lot of – well, they're down players, they're down receivers. They, they just lost two offensive linemen. They're – they're really behind the eight ball with, with personnel and their offense is, I would say, of teams that are in the playoffs or teams that will make the playoffs this year, they have the worst offense in, in the playoffs. And if you don't have a decent offense, I don't care how good your defense is. If you don't have a def- decent offense to put points on the board, you're going to have a game like they saw this weekend with Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. So, so they, of, of all the teams, and they're comfortably in second place right now and comfortably going to be in the playoffs they are the, the the team that I think has the the least opportunity to go far unless they unless they make some improvements there, and and then you look at uh, uh, you know a team like uh, yeah like BC uh, they've or Calgary I'm sorry Calgary with all of their receivers injured with you know I think there's only one receiver Rogers was the only guy who was a starter playing for them it's it's they are in trouble and uh, with respect to injuries so so they're going to be limping into the playoffs. So if you were Edmonton and have to beat BC, then beat Winnipeg, I would I would have good money on that team being being more successful than either one of the two teams that are going to be finishing first and second. Interesting stuff. Blake, always a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll do this again next week, buddy. Okay, thanks a lot, Reed. That is our Eskimos analyst, Blake Dermott. Well, he's not big on the Saskatchewan offense, which I guess you can understand because they didn't score on Saturday. I still think the Riders are pretty good. Text line is 630-630, phone number 780-496-0063. Still ahead, you'll hear from Oilers head coach Todd McClellan and from the new coach of the Edmonton Prospects, Jordan Blondell, and from Eskimos coach Jason Moss. His show with Morley is at 730 tonight. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 
Inside Sports on 630, Chet, uh, Blake was talking about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders there. Remember the name Braden Schramm, 25-year-old offensive lineman, grew up in Manning, Alberta. I believe he went to the University of Calgary, uh, was originally with the Tiger Cats. And uh, with some uh, injuries to the O-line, maybe he's going to get a shot to play here down the stretch. Uh, thanks to a listener for a, a tip-off about that story. Uh, Rob says the Eskimos survived two really bad drops due to keeping their penalties down. You can survive screw-ups, just not in every phase of the game. They have been very uneven in that much still to prove to me. That is from Rob. Well, it's a fair comment. Uh, I mean, the win makes everybody feel a little better. I don't know if it makes you feel like the big problems have gone away. They, the, you mentioned the penalties. They, they have worked on that. It's, it's finally coming around. The Eskimos only took three penalties against Ottawa. The Red Blacks only took five. It was a pretty uh, well-played game, but the Eskimos have worked on the penalties and have been doing better in that department, so something to keep an eye on. Oil 10 says, uh, in, in terms of comments on the Saskatchewan offense, I guess Blake must have forgotten the Eskimos racked up only three points against the Bombers at Commonwealth. Well, fair enough. I'm telling you guys, I picked Saskatchewan to win the Grey Cup before the season, and I am sticking with that. They got a great coach, like him or not, and I'm sure pretty much nobody likes him. But they got a great coach. Uh, They got great special teams and defense. They got a safe offense, which is sometimes frustrating and did get shut out. I doubt that will happen again. And Calgary's beat up. They have a lot of receivers out. I I very much still like Saskatchewan's chances, though, yes, it pains me to say that. 17-14, Green Bay leading Saskatchewan. High-scoring first quarter. It's just coming to an end, Monday Night Football. You'll hear from Todd McClellan and Drake Kajula when we get back. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.